Dennis. I'm Carly Chardonnay-Webb. You're in the Transporter Room, yet another international edition coming up. We're going to talk to Quinn, a World Cup player, soccer star, who came out as transgender just in the last couple of weeks. But first, Carly, you know, there's still blowback from HBO because they haven't yet scheduled their transgender inclusion segment. Other reporters have started doing work and HBO has basically said, you know, we got to do some revisions based on how we uh, handled an athlete, which of course was trans runner Juniper Eastwood. Well, first off, I want to commend you on the tree shaking you did. Well, that, let's, just start, let's just start right there. I mean, just doing my job, man. You, you can bust your arm patting yourself on the back on this one because it was it needed no. to be done. Oh, no, no. That don't, don't let me do that. I don't do that. <laughs> no, I, but, I do. I, I am glad we affected some change. And it was glad, I, I believe, that actually put the pressure on after I contacted Glad to say, hey, what's going on with this? Well, oh, but, you, a, oh. but you see that, but that's part of it. I mean, and for myself, I remember when reading the transcript of it and I'm thinking mm. like this go, I'm a proud graduate of the Medill school of journalism at Northwestern university. And they're teaching whole classes at Medill now on these issues on how you cover these communities. The AP style book when I was a freshman in college, didn't even have a page on this. Now they have two whole chapters on it. <laughs> the information is out there. There's no excuse for a journalist in 2021 to do what HBO tried to do. I mean, there's, just, there's none to it. And to me, I mean, and also being, an Afri being a trans woman who's also African-American, I take a, I'm very sensitive to it because I understand that, especially in the situations of violence, people like me die twice. We die once physically and then we die once in print because we get dead named willingly by in print or in broadcast and well it was a racist report they talked about black athletes but they oh, didn't I, interview a single one. Oh, i wasn't even oh i hadn't even gotten into that yet but that's <laughs> but that i mean there was so much wrong with it for starters you don't dead name anybody in the report i don't i don't care there was there was no reason for that there was no reason to there's no reason to put up and that's a whole nother thing in itself why the before and after? Is there really a need for before and after coverage? Because that's what cisgender people do when they think of trans people, that we are pretending to be someone we aren't, that they think of the person we lived as, as the real person, the real name, the real gender, and, and that they are forced to accept that we are now pretending to be something we're not. And, and another thing, Dawn, to talk about, to, to, get, to get back to that, don't mention anybody you're not willing to go interview. They were going to put, they were going to mention Fallen, they were throwing an allusion to Fallen Fox in that piece. I, I, of and, of course, and, you can, of and you can bet that if, 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 if a certain reporter for HBO had tried to step to Fallen Fox a certain, a certain wrong kind of way, I don't think he'd be breathing afterwards. You don't, I mean, you talk of like, for example, mentioning, I mean, the whole way they tried to set that up as far as bringing C.C. Telfer's name into it was disingenuous and just wrong and would, and, and really should get you canned 
at a lot of newsrooms on this world on this planet. Yeah. Overall, it was just a overall. It's, I mean, for a program that has won awards for its reporting, uh, this is one time where you can't fumble the ball, and they fumbled the ball. Well, someone who scored a touchdown is my friend Carly Webb. You you reported this week that USA Rugby is standing with you uh, with Canadian Rugby and other nations, Denmark, in opposing the World Rugby trans ban that's been proposed. Well, that's a US, great that's a great story. Yeah, USA Rugby made their pronounce put out their their release September twenty fifth after they did a lot of due diligence. They talked to people, they talked to clubs, they, they talked to, to coaches, but they also listened to the feedback that they got immediately after World Rugby made their announcement in July. Within days of that announcement, a petition drive was started. And the genesis of that petition drive was actually somebody who was on our podcast not too long ago, Grace McKenzie, recruiting coordinator for Golden Gate Rugby out of San Francisco. And that, drive, yeah, and that drive has over 18,000 signatures. But also a few, days after, a few days after the drive started, a group, of a group of players, coaches, and other stakeholders from clubs across the United States got together and they made a four-minute video for, their, for Instagram where they just outlined, this is what we think, this is what we think of a possible ban. This is how we feel about inclusion in our sport. And they got people including... They got two former Olympians, a U.S. a U.S. national team coach. They got one of the stars of of the U.S. of the USA Eagles, Olive Kelter, who will be a, a frontline player in next year's Women's World Cup effort. They got these people. They got people from all across American rugby to say, "No, World Rugby, you really need to rethink this, and you really need and and." We've done some. We've done a lot of reporting on this, but it's good to see that USA Rugby took the lead of Rugby Canada. Also, there's some hopeful signs coming out of a rugby hotbed where the COO of New Zealand Rugby came out and said, "We're going to re review this, but we're for inclusion." So there's a lot. There's a lot of there's a lot of heat being put on World Rugby, and I have a feeling that if the heat continues and if it mounts. They're going to go back on this because, again, well, just to review, if people don't know, remember, they put, a, they put together a working group that only had two trans people on it, had no trans women who play rugby on it, and they put known transphobes like Ms. Fonda Beatles on it. Hmm. Dr. Emily Hilton. Yeah. Well, speaking of going back on things, we have some breaking news. As we record this on Tuesday for air or listening on Wednesday, Governor Lamont had the chance to back away from his promise to support transgender athletes, trans student athletes in Connecticut, where you and I live. He was just asked at a news conference today, what about the charter schools? Because Betsy DeVos and the Department of Education is threatening to withhold funding if three school districts don't drop their policies of supporting trans student athletes. Governor Lamont, to his credit, said he and Attorney General William Tong are going to fight for the charter schools too. I'm, I'm pleasantly surprised. <laughs> it's nice that he finally got the message. You got to stand up for the trans student athletes. Thank you, Governor Lamont. Yeah, but, but it's not Took only a matter of, but it's not only, 
But it's not only standing for, yes, it's true. It took him long enough, but it's not just about standing for trans students. It's standing for every school child in Connecticut. Exactly. Because without discrimination, all children should be able to play sports. Yeah. And also all children should have a right to, a, to the public education that they're entitled to by the exactly. constitution of the state of Connecticut. Absolutely. That, that's the bigger issue. Yes. The, don't get me wrong. The trans student issue, that's important. I'm, it's about anti-discrimination, but this is also about something even larger. This is about public education in this country, something that Betsy DeVos has used her immense, her family fortune, her connections, and our position to try to destroy. These people well, it's like, have yeah, gone it's after like it, you, and they haven't denied it. It's like you said about the New Haven school system. The mayor there called it extortion. The president mm -hmm. and his administration are trying to extort schools. You drop this or we'll take away your funding for education. Well, how despicable. It is, but Don, look who they're targeting. I know. They, they're, they're targeting New Haven, yep. Hartford, mm -hmm. Rotten. They're targeting districts that are, that are working class and heavily black and brown. The most marginalized among the most yeah. marginalized. Yeah, they're, they're pitting the marginalized against the marginalized. And, and you know, me being, me being a, a Chardonnay may be a white wine, but this one is red. You know how, <laughs> you know how I feel about that. This is, this is yes. the bigger issue beyond the issue. But it's good, oh, to here see, we go. it's good to see Ned Lamont and Attorney General William Tong standing oh, in there and saying, we're going to fight. Yeah. Uh, no, Tong has been an ally yeah. since before he was elected. But I'm glad Lamont's finally got on board. You know, I mean, you mentioned earlier about uh, in the rugby discussion, you were talking about uh, the Canadian team and how they led the way and how the USA follows Canada. Yeah. And I find that Canada does a lot of things like that. Um, I know a player for the Canadian soccer team who just came out as transgender in the last couple of weeks. And if you set coordinates for Southern Sweden, I would bet you that we could beam up that player quinn come on up to the transporter room Ener beam her energizing up. The be energizing the beams now quinn welcome to the transporter room hi thank you we're so glad to have you on this podcast quinn what's it been like what kind of reception did you receive you know a lot of people are afraid of coming out because they're afraid they might get rejected that their friends might abandon them their family might turn their backs what's it been like for you quinn I mean, it's definitely been a process um, over time. And although coming out just this past couple of weeks, um, you know, in the public eye, that's been an overly positive response. You definitely still get, you know, some trolls on the internet. Uh, um, yeah. <laughs> I know we all love those. No, but Never yeah. Never read the comments. Never read the comments. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> No, yeah, so you have that aspect of it. And, you know, for the most part, and especially with my Canadian teammates, they've been, they've been great. Obviously, they, they still have a ways to go in terms of, of their learnings, um, but overly just a really positive response from them. But, you know, from other teams that I'm on, it hasn't been that way. And there has been a couple of players who have, you know, had questions or, you know, outwardly told me that they didn't approve or you know just said some really ignorant hurtful things and so to your face although it's, yeah to my face um so you know it's wow. definitely a process and i'd love to say that it was a hundred percent support but unfortunately that's not the reality that we live in sometimes you came back this season to your club in sweden on loan after being on loan in the nwsl 
What was the reaction when you got back to Scandinavia, when you got to Scandinavia? What was the reaction in the locker room? So actually it's the other way around. I'm just on loan in Sweden for three months and my permanent team is the NWSL team. But um, yeah, I mean, I since just being in Sweden for the past six weeks, they've actually been really, really inclusive um, here and especially on this team. And, you know, I have a Canadian teammate, Sabrina D'Angelo, which helped me just on a social level coming in as a new player mid-season. But coming out here, everyone's been so overwhelmingly positive. They've talked to me about their Swedish culture and how they have non-binary pronouns. Um, and, yeah, they've honestly... That worked out really well. A, wow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You're on loan and... Did you plan that? Did it just happen that you happened to be in Sweden and that's where you decided to come out? Um, no, I mean, it was just definitely like a decision that, you know, grew over a period of time. Um, this has been something that I've wanted to do for a really long time now. And I don't know what really sparked, sparked the moment for me to just want to post it. But um, yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say that I really had that much of a thought through on where I was or whatnot. Um, when I did decide to come out publicly. Did you come out to other people, uh, family or friends first before making the big public announcement? Yeah, so I actually came out to both my NWSL team and the Canadian national team before I made the public announcement. And then I've been out with, you know, family and, and really close friends for some time now, I would say, you know, four or five years now. That's great. And Quinn, there was a lot of hubbub because people took your dead name, your first name, your birth name, and they included in a lot of articles, and we're just as guilty of that as, as everyone else is until we fixed it. Um, that must have hurt. Yeah, you know, it did hurt. And it kind of took me by surprise because, you know, regardless of my transness and coming out, I've gone by Quinn in the soccer realm since I was, you know, 12 or 13. And so, um, you know, even before coming out to my team, I was telling my media and people on my team to just be using Quinn and media. And that's how I wanted to be referred to in the locker room room and in media so you know it kind of took me by surprise because all of these reporters who I'd known who had called me Quinn you know were posting articles that that were using my dead name so I was just a little bit confused about that and obviously you know for any trans person being dead named is is incredibly hurtful and so it was really it was frustrating and it really opened my eyes to understanding maybe what the path ahead was and that there was a little there was going to be some ignorance ahead of me even in the LGBT space, I don't think people understand who are not transgender, why it's so important. And I'm gonna ask Carly to give us her perspective, but I'll tell you mine. Mine is that it, it allows people to think that this is just an act, that I'm pretending, that my real name is the dead name, the name I don't use anymore, the one I live with for years and years. And I'm very, forgiving when people accidentally call me by my other name, especially family. A lot of times people will correct themselves immediately. Other times it's just blatant refusal to accept my name. And I'll be honest, I picked my name not only because my mother told me that was the name she picked out for me before I was born, but also because it sounds a little bit like my dead name. So it doesn't sound as so uh, outlandish as somebody might call me Don instead of Dawn. In some parts of our country, the US, you pronounce Dawn like Don. So I, I feel like it's not as bad for me when people do it. But Carly, what's it like for you? And what, what's, what's been your reaction in terms of dead naming and, and helping people understand why it's wrong? 
I could talk on day, all day for this, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest condensed. <laughs> well, I would like, it. I would appreciate that, Carly. Thank <laughs> it's you. <a> pain. <laughs> it's a pain in the butt, honestly. I, I mean, it is a pain, and I mean, Don, like you, my my name means a lot to me because my name, the name that I chose, came from the came from the first person who who embraced me and said, "This is going to be okay." I don't, I don't totally understand it, but I'm going to but I'm going to learn it. And that was my father. So I feminized his name and took his name and took his name as my own and fem feminized it. And I, cr I cry every time I think about being at your naming uh, change uh, ceremony. The, yeah, there, there's the a proceeding. lot. It was so a, emotional. Yeah, yes, but there's a lot in a name, but there's also a lot in claiming what your identity is for yourself. And Quinn, what, something in a recent interview you did with the CBC, you talked. You talked about an experience when when you played at Duke, at where someone actually stopped you from entering the dressing room, questioning whether you were on the team or not. You also had stated that throughout your life playing in the in the game, you said that quote, deconstructing the rigid gender binary is a continuous process that I'm constantly mm. doing. How much of that ethos and those experiences played into you finally saying, no, it's time to affirm who I am in every facet of my life, including when I wear, when I wear any team's uniform out there on that pitch? Yeah, you know, and just talking to that, that first part that you talked about, like being physically allowed into those spaces, I think that was so hard for me. And it's something that I've not just faced at Duke, but I've faced in the professional realm. I've gone to professional games and I haven't been allowed in the locker room or people have stopped me at halftime when I'm trying to get back on the pitch to warm up. Um, and so, you know, being barred from those physical spaces and, you know, having to assert myself and say, I'm supposed to be here, but I wasn't going to go and say like, oh, I'm a woman, so I'm supposed to be here. So I wanted to create an inclusive <sighs> space where I could just say like, I am supposed to be here and that's enough, you know? Um, and I think for sure, like trying to deconstruct that rigid gender binary in sports, it occupies so much of my time and, you know, it takes away time for me as a professional athlete to be able to focus on my sport. I think of just like silly, not even silly, but just small things like uniforms. I know I had two separate training kits when I was at Duke and one day I was feeling so good and confident in myself because I liked the way that it, you know, it felt on my body. And the other day I was so preoccupied with this uniform. And it's just like, I'm a professional athlete. I shouldn't have to, you know, spend time worrying about that. And so, and I also shouldn't have to, you know, have my trans identity try and validate that. Like, you know, everyone should be able to have access to uniforms that they find really comfortable. Like I shouldn't have to say I'm trans. So therefore I want to get a different pair of shorts, right? Like anyone should be, ha be, be able to do that in sport. And so I just think like such a rigid gender, gender binary doesn't serve anyone in those situations, you know, trans folks and cis folks like that makes sense it does but at the same time in many ways you're 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 entering the undiscovered country here in a lot of ways how but how much how far do we how far how much are we not ready to have this conversation in sports oof yeah, I mean, yeah, I think it is, it really is um, 
new territory for a lot of people. And I think, yeah, it's, it's gotta be a conversation and I wanna open the door to those conversations because it needs to happen. And it's a conversation that need to happen for a long time. And so, yeah, I mean, you can touch upon it more, but I, it is a little bit of new territory. Can I just put the uh, light on the elephant in the room? Isn't it really a generational dispute that older folks are really resistant? I mean, yeah, there are bigots who are young, but a lot of the older, let's say, men can't get their brains around the idea of non-binary, can't get their ideas, uh, can't get their pronouns in their mouths to say they, them. Is that what you're fighting, a generational battle? Hmm. I mean, yeah, I think so to some extent. I think definitely, you know, looking at, at my generation and seeing, you know, more openness and more understanding. And I was even talking to someone from my, my high school and just how much that that environment has changed over a period of, oh gosh, I don't even know, less than 10 years, right? Um, so I think definitely it is a bit of a generational battle for sure. And I think you know, in sports, and I mean, especially in women's, in women's soccer, I'm doing air quotes right now, um, <laughs> <laughs> that, um, yeah, like that, that situation, especially in the NWSL, you know, is dominated by older white cis men. And so I think that in and of itself, you know, changing that structure is also a part of it, right? Like those are the people in positions of power in our, in our sport. I was just in Chicago. And uh, I saw a big billboard and it was for the NWSL soccer team. And it said women's soccer. And they crossed out the women's part. So it just said soccer. Wouldn't that be great if we didn't call it women's soccer? If we just called it soccer, because that's what you're playing. You're not playing women's soccer. Men don't play men's soccer, they play soccer. So why should we have to differentiate? Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it's, yeah, I think it always is on my mind when I look up, you know, different sporting leagues and the men's league is, you know, the NHL and the women's league is the NWHL. It's just like, yeah, why, why is this happening for sure? It is interesting too that women's sports, so-called air quotes, women's sports, have been more accepting of non-binary, transgender players, lesbian players, out lesbian players, whereas there is not one man, other than Colin Martin, who's an American soccer player, there is no out male sports figure in baseball, football, basketball, and the rest of soccer, except for Colin Martin. And there, you know, there are soccer players who came out before, in other countries, but it's just, it's crazy. Carly, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. No, I'm, I'm, a, I'm looking ahead to a very important <laughs> tournament that's coming up in a year's time, mainly, Ooh. namely the Olympic tournament Ooh. in Tokyo. Ooh. Are you already starting to look, in a sense, even with, you've got the club seasons coming up still, but, are you, but is your mind beginning to, beginning to kind of spool over, okay, how am I going to deal with that with that time in Tokyo when there will be some spotlights on me? 
CBC spotlight will be on me. CTV spotlight will be on me. So will Globals. So is the Globe and Mail and probably a lot of the world because you've taken this step now. Are you starting to think about what that crush will be like? Yeah, I mean, and I think this is just like a taste of it in some senses because I think obviously that's a huge tournament and that's, you know, it's a place for me to, you know, trailblaze as a, as a trans athlete. And I'm really hoping that there'll be other trans athletes there. Cause I know that there's, there's other competitors that are, that are close to getting their, their qualifying spots. Um, but yeah, I think it's a, you know, it is a lot of pressure, I think in some senses, and I want to use my platform. That was like one of the main reasons of coming out. I mean, another reason as well is just like wanting my identity to be respected in, <laughs> in every space but no I wanted to use my platform and I want to be outspoken but I think at the same time you know I'm only one voice in that and I can only tell my story and so I just want to you know push conversations in other places and to other trans advocates and other voices and I'm hoping that you know with my voice I can just start to uplift other trans voices in our community in our community yeah even with the support you've gotten in those initial conversations what's the biggest misconception that you've kind of had to unpack and work against in media or like with my closer family and friends with with closer family with friends and with media let's take them all on yeah and i mean i think you know don has mentioned this before about you know this media fixation on like transitioning and this before and after trope um, I think that to me was was a pretty glaring thing when I was talking to media was, you know, this fixation on wanting to portray this before and after narrative or dialogue. And, you know, I think that was really frustrating for me entering those conversations. And I feel like I was really confident going in saying, you know, I don't want this to be included. I don't want this to be included. And I was really hopeful that the media, you know, was telling me we want to you know, put trans people in positive spotlights and do appropriate media representation of trans folks. But I still think there was just this real desire to want to, you know, please this, this cisgender want for this before and after narrative, if that makes sense. It um, does. Uh, rather than listening to a trans person on what should be happening. In the HBO interview, we were talking about the top of the podcast. Chase Strangio, an ACLU attorney and a trans man, offered the producers all this substantial and substantive evidence of trans inclusion. And you know what they wanted from him? Hey, do you have a picture of you in a dress? Can we see what you look like when you played uh, for a girls' soccer team? I mean, come on, you know? Hey, we got a sound playing right now that means we have to take a break. But when we come back, I want to ask you more about this history you're making, because I don't think a lot of people understand about transgender people and the Olympics. We'll have that when we come back. And we're back here at the transporter room. We have got Quinn on the bridge right now. And she's in the transporter room. How could she be in the yeah. bridge? <laughs> I say this to you all the time. I just don't get it. All right, so we got, we got Quinn in the transporter room. And 
next year at Tokyo, when you take the pit, when, when you walk in the opening ceremony and walk in with the Canadian delegation, and when you take that first pitch, most likely you'll be among the first or perhaps the first trans athlete to participate in, in an Olympic Games. That has never been done before. Do you think people really have an idea of the history that the, uh, the history that's going to be made? In a sense, does it boggle your mind the history that you most likely will be making come next year in Tokyo? Um, yeah, yes and no. Um, I think it is really exciting, you know, to potentially be a be a trailblazer in that sense but at the same time I'm <laughs> I'm pretty positive that there's been trans people at the Olympics they just you know haven't been out during their time at the actual Olympics um and so you know for me I think that's that's just really exciting that I can be out and that you know even if it is a really difficult experience to be out and it obviously does come with some pushback um I think it just you know, it speaks to the places that we're moving. And I hope that, you know, there's so many trans folks that are going to follow me in those steps, you know, and that are going to be in future Olympics or hopefully more even in, in the Olympics that's coming up this summer. Well, I know of at least one closeted trans Olympian. Um, they go by the name of Jenner, uh, Caitlin Jenner. <laughs> <laughs> Carly. Yep. No, I mean, have you, have you had a chance to keep up on some of the issues that have come about as in regards to trans athletes? For example, the recent, I mean, down here, just your neighbors to the South have had a lot of, shall we say, interesting discussions of discriminatory laws passed, a lawsuit, the world rugby situation. Have you had a chance to follow some of that? And if so, what's your thoughts on it? Yeah, I have, you know, um, looking at the Connecticut situation, world rugby situation, you know, the laws that are consistently being pushed in different states um, in terms of trans inclusion. I mean, Idaho, I was in, yeah, yeah Idaho. <laughs> um, I was in North Carolina during HB2. Um, oh, boy, the bathroom bill. Uh, yeah, the bathroom bill. So, you know, it's, unfortunately, it's, it's so prevalent in, in America. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's so disheartening and it's heartbreaking for me, you know, think being a trans athlete and understanding, you know, just at the youth level, what soccer gave to me as a child and how excited I was, even at the age of five, I couldn't wait to step on the pitch. Like I was watching my older siblings play and I, I just couldn't wait to get out there with them. And so to exclude children from, you know, participating in the sports that they love, I just think it's, it's criminal. Um, and I think that there's so much work and that's in part, you know, why I want to be out is I want to be able to push these conversations and push the attention towards these things that are happening in the U.S. right now. I got to say, you know, Carly and I came out in our forties and you're 25 and you came out to your friends and family, and your teammates five years ago. I, I got to say, we're completely jealous of that experience. But would you tell us a little bit about, even as a younger person, when did it sort of click that this isn't right, that I think there's something different about me compared to other girls? 
Yeah, I mean, I think, <laughs> I'm sure you both have had this experience, but um, I think when I look at my childhood, I have a lot of those moments and I'm like, oh, that makes a lot of sense. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, indeed. Now I get it. <laughs> <laughs> you just have a laugh about it. But no, I mean, I think it took me till you know i had a language to be able to describe what i was feeling and you know i learned about trans folks um to be able to really understand and and you know put put a name on what i was feeling but i think i can look throughout my childhood and understand that 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 has been a narrative in my life since i was a young kid for sure i was always pushing back on the gender binary whether it was you know not wearing the clothes that my mom really wanted me to wear or you know just I don't know, loving to explore different like gendered toys and stuff like that. So, I mean, I think I didn't have a word for it till, you know, five years ago in college, but looking back on my childhood, it makes a lot of sense. And I just wish, you know, my parents as well knew more about what it meant to be trans. And so maybe they could have, you know, seen that I was struggling with those things and gotten support for me at a younger age. There's going to be at least one closeted trans person listening to this podcast. They're probably into sports and they want guidance. They want to know how they can navigate this world that we, you, Carly and I live in where we're out and proud. What advice do you have for that closeted trans person, whether they be genderqueer or identifying on the binary, what would you tell them? Yeah, I would just say, and I don't want to sugarcoat it because, you know, we know what society we live in, but I think I would just say that it does get easier. You learn how to navigate and you build like this beautiful shell for dealing with situations that you face. And so I think in that sense, you know, it does get easier. I know when I came out as a trans person and started, you know, presenting the way I wanted to in society in terms of just my physical appearance, there was, it was so jarring to me, you know, and I know that was really overwhelming. Um, but I think it does get easier over time. And I guess as well, just having hope that there are people, you know, there's people like us that are trying to pave the way for more inclusiveness in sports and beyond sports as well. Also with that in mind, because you're dealing, you're dealing with the sphere, especially in sport, that is often reluctant to change. What are things that coaches need to know? What are some, some of the base things administrators need to know? And sure enough, what are some things that sports media need to know? Yes, give me, give me the Instagram post and give our people the Instagram post one more time for those, for those who still aren't getting it. Break it down for them. <laughs> no, I think it's just, you know, <laughs> learning a little bit, like putting yourself out there to learn a little bit um, about trans folks and about the language you should be using. It's so easy to change our language. And I know people have such a reluctance over that and <laughs> they like to argue that it's hard, but the reality is it's really not that difficult. And so I said, you know, one thing in my thing, in my post was just like, practice they them pronouns you know if you have an athlete who uses they them pronouns go in the mirror and practice or go and take your other cis friends and just practice using that pronoun because you know i think a lot of people will be surprised with how easy that is um 
yeah, so I think language is such a huge part in the, that inclusivity bit. And then, you know, to the media, and we've just talked about this, it's, it's not using dead names and it's writing a narrative about a person, you know, not fixating on this transitional piece, this before and after piece, but really just focusing on the trans person as a person and what they're doing in their life other than just their transness. It's great. You mentioned practicing. I do that. Oh yeah. In fact, I carry one of those, you know, you know how quarterbacks have the little wristbands with the plays on them. Cause I work in a, I work in a workplace with, where at least 50% of the people I work with, because I'm also a creative or non-binary, and they each use a different type of pronoun. So I literally will have the list and the pronoun next to their name. So I don't screw it up. I know it's weird. I, yeah, no, I, 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 use, I use a practice in terms of, you know, I, I actually went to speech therapy to try and get my voice to be in the right octave, the right range. Now I'm with Carly, so I'm talking in a more conversational voice that most people recognize. But when I meet strangers or I talk to my students, I raise it up a little bit. And I, I try to do that because I don't want to be misgendered. And I feel like I have to do that. Otherwise, people are going to just go with the sound and they're going to think, hmm, I'm not sure, but I'm going to default to man. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it sucks. And mm -hmm. on the phone or the drive through it happens all the time. But I'd ask you one last question. Quinn, where do you see yourself in five years? When you turn 30, what are you gonna be doing? Um, <laughs> I think I went into professional sports saying, you know, at the age of 28, I'm definitively retiring for sure. I wanted a career beyond sports. Um, but, you know, I do really love this lifestyle. So I, I don't know where I see myself maybe in terms of continuing to play sports. And I think, you know, the more outspoken I am and, you know, the more I learn about, you know, social justice and advocacy, the more that's a, that's a route I want to explore. Growing up, I, I love biology and, you know, I still kind of have the aspirations of being a veterinarian, but I think this is a part of my life that I want to continue to advocate for folks. And so, you know, maybe beyond sports, it's, it's that in some capacity. Well, as a certified old lady, I am here to tell you that you don't have to worry about changing careers or changing directions at 30, 40, 50. <laughs> I've reinvented myself a couple of times. Carly has too. And all I want to say is good luck to you. I think that you are on a great adventure and it's just beginning. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for joining us. And I look forward to, I look forward to seeing you. In the, w, in the NWSL in the seasons ahead and of course next year. And I know that there's a certain team from south of that border that Team Canada's gunning for. And I'm looking <laughs> forward to the next installment of USA Canada on the pitch. Well, Carly, maybe we should buy tickets yeah, we'll to the uh, Olympic Games. If they allow fans, we should go. Yeah. Or miraculously, if they the if they allow the United States to show up, if we unless we don't get our coronavirus act together, they just might uh, not. Good point. <laughs> good point. All right, that's set coordinates for Southern Sweden. Thank you, Quinn. Have a Thanks, safe trip Quinn. back. Good luck on the assignment out over there in Sweden. <laughs> Thank you, both. Energizing. Oh, Carly, they were great. I am so glad we finally got to talk to Quinn. That was a great interview. That was an excellent interview. I'll tell you again. I'm liking these international shows we're doing. Oh, yeah. I'm liking well, this. We're intergalactic. Why not be interplanetary and international? <laughs> Bold, boldly going. 
where few sports shows have ever gone. And I'm I'm also glad we got a chance to apologize personally yeah. because uh no 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 harm by the people who messed up, but I just, you know, of all the things that get wrong. Ugh. Well so let's, I mean, but again, it's a learn it's the continuing learning process and we all have to keep getting better. Absolutely. That's the and goal. I have learned, we all I, I learn something new every day and I am definitely human. I make mistakes too. Let's switch gears. What are you streaming, binging, watching? What sci-fi are you up to? What fantasy Actually, are you watching or reading? Well, one thing I am watching, I'm catching up on The Boys on Amazon Prime. I'm catching, I'm, I'm catching up to season two of The Boys right now. And I haven't seen that yet. Uh, let me put it this way. It's a, it's, it's a satirical take on the whole sports, on the whole intersection of the superhero mythos, American nationalism, um, corporate greed. In other words, th things that issues that I like to tackle, giving my own leanings. But it's also a very good. It's a very well put together show. It's a little bit it's a little bit raucous. It's a little bit tawdry, but it's a lot of fun. And it'll give me something else to watch because Ted Lasso's ending this week. So <laughs> <laughs> the season finale is this week. I watched the Comey uh, report, uh, Comey rule. The Comey rule. Uh, How was I also, that? I actually skipped part of it because I did not want to have to relive her emails part. <laughs> but I thought it was very well done. And the actor, Brendan Gleeson, who plays Trump, is got him to rights. Oh, it was great. That, um, I saw the trailer. Doesn't he, though? He sure does. And I, I got to be honest, I am uh, not interested in reliving the Hil Hillary emails part. So I, I just skipped past that part. Um, I saw a, a trailer for a, a film or series, I guess it is, that I want to watch called Antebellum, which is sort of like a Southern Confederacy slavery time travel type show where a woman who's an accomplished black woman uh, is suddenly transported back to the old South and how she leads a rebellion. So I want to watch that, but I haven't uh, coughed up the money for it yet. What I did over the weekend was I binged an old episode of Deep Space Nine that may have something to do with the upcoming Star Trek Discovery season three coming in two weeks. There's a new Trill character and there was a episode in which Jadzia Dax has to go back to the Trill homeworld because she's having some trouble. And reports say that this episode may have some influence on what happens in season three. So I'm really excited about that. Well, then I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to send me what that what episode number that was for and name and title as for Deep Space Nine because I gotta watch that again because uh, I I always like it when people I, one thing that Star Trek especially the newer series did well is the homecoming type stories when people it went yeah. home. Yep, it's season three. The episode's called Equilibrium, and I cannot remember the episode number. I am not that I am not that much of a geek, um, but I remember the title in the season, and it's about Jadzia going home because she's having some trouble with her trill. And I recommend it because it has something to do apparently with what's going to happen in season three of Discovery. We've got a trans character, we've got a non-binary character, and it's going to be a great freaking season. I'm really excited to it. I think it's October 15th that uh, launches. So, Carly. Yeah. I wish you a very good week. I'm looking forward to uh, Star Trek Discovery. I'm looking forward to all the things that we have ahead of us. And until we meet again, live long and prosper. Steady as she goes. <laughs>